thank you for joining the podcast today. This week's Bible study is really a, a great study on holiness. So I have to ask this question. This is what I'm titling it. Are we part of God's wholeness to holiness? We're taking this from Psalms chapter 27, verses 1 through 6. Now, I want to go over that with you because it's a great read. So this lesson this week might be a little bit longer than normal, but I think it's worth it all when you think about it. It says here, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. For He will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in His sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Isn't that awesome when you think about that? With shouts of joy in spite of all the calamity and the things that might be going on around the world. This is exactly what his intentions are. I love when I highlight this, it's like, He says the Lord's going to give him light and salvation. He's going to have a fortress for him. And all he has to do is remain confident. And the things that he seeks most is to live in the house of the Lord, regardless of what's going on here. That's all he cares about. God will hide him from his enemies and they can't reach him. And his main function is going to be to have shouts of joy, singing and praising to the Lord with music. Holy and holiness is what we're really talking about. Eugene Peterson puts it well. If you know him, he has uh, done the Message Bible. And he says, God cannot fit into our plans. We must fit into his We can't use God. God is not a tool or an appliance or a credit card. Holy is the word that sets God apart and above our attempts to enlist him in our our wish fulfillment, fantasies, or our utopia and schemes for making our mark in the world. Holy means that God is alive on God's terms, alive in a way that exceeds our experience and imagination. Holy refers to life burning with an intense purity that transforms everything it touches into itself. That's a great statement. The Hebrew word holy, really, it's probably originally meant separate or set apart. That's what I'm getting out of this. It came to be used to describe the the otherness of God and how his character and nature are so much greater and more wonderful than any other person or thing. For something else to be holy simply means it to, for it to be dedicated to God. You are holy to the extent that your life is devoted 
to him and your actions reflect his character. This is important, that your actions reflect his character. Holiness and wholeness are closely related when you think about it. And God wants the whole of your life. If we take a look at those verses again, just glance over them again. And I think it's so important because worship, worshiping the Lord and the beauty of his holiness. How do you live a life without fear? David had plenty of reasons to be afraid. That's what he's writing about. He was surrounded by vandals and bullies and tough guys. That's what it says in the Message Bible in, in verse 2. Yet he said, I'm fearless, afraid of no one and nothing, in verse 1. I'm calm as a baby. I'm collected and cool, in verse 3. All from the Message Bible. How can you be confident in the face of opposition and attack? That's my question. How can you be confident? The focus of his life was worship. David's focus was about worship. He focused on one thing. This was the number one priority for David. Don't try to fit God into your plans. Make your plans around the priority of worship. I love the expression, the beauty of the Lord, when you see that in verse 4. The Greek word for beauty is the word used to describe everything that Jesus did. You can find that in Mark 7.37. And here's, here's what it says. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. There's a well-known philosopher. His name is Dostoevsky. But he described Jesus as an infinitely beautiful. He was also known for saying that Nothing is easier than to denounce the evildoer. Nothing is more difficult than to understand him. Are we trying to understand some of these evildoers? How do we deal with them? <laughs> That's a whole nother discussion. Jesus really didn't have an outward beauty. You can read that in Isaiah 53 verses 2 through 3. He had a different kind of beauty, the beauty of holiness. That was the beauty he offered. As you seek the Lord and, and, and really kind of gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in worship, he lifts up above all the distractions and the fears and the temptations. It far exceeds it. I like the way the Message Bible interprets David's words in verses 5 through 6. That's the only quiet, secure place in a noisy world. God holds me head and shoulders above those who try to pull me down. Isn't that beautiful? If we look at Mark chapter 9, verses 33, going through chapter 10, verse 12, this is where Jesus overhears the conversation where he asks the disciples, what are you discussing? What, what is this argument about? And what they wouldn't say, but what it was, was about who is going to be the greatest amongst them. And Jesus corrects this and he says, look, this isn't the way to live. This isn't what it's about. What's our attitude as Christian ministers in our life today as a Christian church and towards other Christian churches? Divisions among followers of Jesus started very early on. The disciples started arguing about who was the greatest. Isn't that amazing? 
In this context, Jesus speaks to them about the characteristics of a life of holiness. I'm going to list you about six of them. And the first thing he talks about is humility. Jesus tells them not to compete to be number one. It is always a temptation to compare. Envy and rivalry are great dangers. Jesus says if you are going to compete, it should be to get to the last place. If anyone wants to be first, they must be the very last and the servant of all. says that in verse 35. Leaders are called to humble service. The second point is about love. He took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms, and he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Verses 36 through 37. Love and welcome everyone, even those who are unable to do anything for you. The very young, the weak, the poor. In doing so, you are loving and welcoming Jesus. Point three, it's about tolerance. Jesus tells the disciples not to dismiss or judge others who do things in Jesus' name just because they are not part of your group. Look at verses 38 through 39 and then verse 41. It is a mistake to dismiss other Christians, other denominations, or other organizations because they are not one of us, as we look at verse 38 there. Point number four, discipline. We sometimes really tolerate sin in our own lives, but are intolerant towards other people's sins. Jesus teaches us to be tolerant towards others, but be intolerant about sin in our own lives. That's a gotcha. Verse 42 through 49. When the Bible talks about cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye, of course, Jesus is not speaking about literal maiming yourself. Rather, he uses figurative language about what we do with our hands and the places that we go with our feet and what we look at with our eyes in verse 47. He says he wants us to be disciplined, uncompromising, and radical about sin. It's often sin that leads to division. Jesus calls us to be ruthless about living a life of holiness. Doesn't that make sense? Point five is about peace. Jesus tells them not to argue but to be at peace. Jesus longed for his disciples to get along with one another. Couldn't we just do that in our society today? He wanted them to stop arguing and to, and to be peacemakers and to be at peace with each other. And that's in verse 50. Later, he prayed that we may be one in order that the world would believe. John 17, 21. It says, I pray that they, they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me. Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Now the sixth point. This is faithfulness. Jesus calls us to faithfulness in marriage. He points out that Moses' permission for divorce was a concession, not a command. God's intention for marriage is lifelong with faithfulness. Husband and wife are so closely united that they become one flesh. 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh, Mark 10, 8. This is the origin of the wonderful words of the marriage service, which followed the joining of hands and the exchange of vows. Quote, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Unquote. Verse 9. This should be our prayer. Lord, help me through the power of your Holy Spirit to live a holy life and to develop the characteristics of humanity or humility and love, tolerance, discipline, peace, and faithfulness. When you look at Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 15, he clearly notes even the last days of Jesus, nothing appeared about him with greatness or self-evident of royal splendor. This is describing how he looked when he was beaten. He did this for us so we could walk in holiness. Being holy is being able to see the light. Light dispels the anxieties and dangers of darkness. Salvation guarantees the defeat of all adversaries. David pleads for God to send out the light that he, David, would remain confident. These are some words of convictions. It's, it's setting the world apart from the life of Christ. Let's go through some verses real quick. Psalms 43.3 talks about asking God to send out his light. Psalms 56.13 talks about his life giving light. Psalms 18.28 talks about how God lights up my darkness. What a proclamation. Psalms 118.6 is a perfect statement about what can mere people do to me. I love that. Being holy is remaining confident in God. Psalms 3, verse 6 through 7 says, I'm not afraid of all the people that surround me. David's talking about the 10,000 left and the 10,000 on his right and were, how they were against him. In other words, he was surrounded by his enemies. Psalms 14:4. David makes a clear statement that the evil people never learn. Psalms 18.6 notes this, God hears us when we cry out to him in prayer, and he will hear you. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, no man should desire to be happy who is not at the same time holy. He should spend his efforts in seeking to know and to do the will of God, leaving the Christ the matter of how happy he should be. Leaving that up to Christ. Christ will make us happy. Worshiping God is so important. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's spiritual worship. John 4.24 God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Ephesians 5.19, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Matthew 14.33, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Psalms 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Psalms 95.6, bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Hebrews 12.28-29, through 29, says, let us be grateful. Remember, holy simply means for it to be dedicated to God. Remember the story of Hannah? 
she dedicated her son, Samuel, to the temple of God if she could only have a son. After pleading with the Lord for a son in anticipation and gratitude for this miraculous blessing she really believed was going to happen, she vowed a vow. She promised to make the enormous sacrifice of giving up the opportunity to raise her son to adulthood for the privilege of bearing him and nurturing him for about three years. That is holiness. That's dedication. It's a commitment to putting God first. Can we list how we are dedicated to God? What are we doing to dedicate ourselves towards God? That's holiness.